0: Amen. Well, you can take your seats and turn in your Bibles to John chapter six, verses sixteen to twenty-one. And as you do, I uh, want to add my thanks uh, to, to Pastor Paul's on behalf of our youth leaders and our youth. Uh, as we were away last week, I was I was so grateful the amount of people that were uh, texting me and uh, letting me know that you were praying for our youth, or on even on our Facebook page, those that were commenting. So, in, uh, such an encouragement. Uh, to us and uh, to our students. God works in amazing ways at these retreats, and uh, it, is, it is because of uh, his people praying, I'm, I'm sure of it. So keep us in prayer next week as well as we're, as we're gone. Um, we're really excited for what God will do in our, our junior high students. Um, John 6, 16 to, to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's holy word. Now, I heard a story of uh, a man. He was uh, recounting, he was getting back from a trip with his wife, and as they pulled into the driveway, uh, he he said to his wife how glad he was to be home, and uh, they noticed that uh, their her daughter and uh, her, uh, their son-in-law was at their house. So as they uh, go in, uh, to their home, he, rec- he recounts a moment he will never forget. He opens the door, he brings their bags in, and his daughter is right there in the entrance, and she begins to burst into tears. And she says, Daddy, I've lost the baby. You see, she was eight months pregnant and she woke up a day earlier and she just knew and felt the absence of life in her belly. So she went to the doctors, they ran some tests and the doctor had to let her know that the baby was dead. But as she was crying in her daddy's arms... She shared, they want me to go in tomorrow and they want me to go into labor. They're going to induce labor so that I would give birth to my baby. She said, Daddy, I am going to give birth to my baby, but my baby is not alive. Now I... Uh, Blew my mind when my wife went through pregnancy and, and gives birth. Any, any man that's accompanied their wife through labor knows how profound it is, how, how wonderful it is, and how just shocking it is. And what's even more shocking to me is that now, women would go on to have uh, children after their first, right? If If men were having babies, we'd stop at one. There is no question. But they go on to have children because though it is incredibly painful, at least from what I, what I could tell, it's worth it. Because at the end of labor, they have life. They hold this beautiful baby. So this woman, she goes uh, into labor the next day, goes into the hospital, and uh, the father, he was waiting out in the, the, the waiting room, and he heard a shriek, and it was his daughter. He goes into uh, the waiting room, and he sees something that utterly shocked him. He saw his daughter holding this eight-month baby girl to her body that was lifeless. Now, it bothered him. Why would they put a dead baby into the hands of a mother? So he asked the nurse. And the nurse said to him, the mother needs to see the fruit of her labor. Later on, he was talking with her daughter. This was a number of weeks after this happened. And she said to him, I needed to hold my baby. I needed to see that all the pain that I went through was not for nothing. There's nothing like suffering to take us out of the abstract and the theoretical. if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, that when you go through suffering or pain, two questions run through your mind. The first is why. Why, God? Why would you allow me to go through something like this? And the second, where are you, God? Where are you in this pain? Where are you in this suffering? And the text this morning is going to answer these questions. You see, John 6, 16 to 21 follows After a day, the disciples, I'm sure, never forgot. A day when they saw Jesus feed thousands with a few loaves and a few fish. And Jesus, after this high point, after this moment of Jesus showing his sufficiency and his provision in this huge problem to feed so many people, he wants to bring this lesson home to his disciples in a special way. He wants to show them that he is sufficient, not just on the great days, but on the darkest of nights. So we are going to see from our text as we see in the lives of the disciples, that Jesus and Jesus alone is sufficient in your storms. Because all of us, at some point in our life, maybe you're young and you haven't gone through a, a serious trial or a, a serious difficulty, it is coming. It's been said you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial. Following Jesus is following Jesus through, t- through trials, through testing, through suffering. And we're gonna see that Jesus is sufficient in our storms. He is the only thing that is sufficient in our storms. The first thing we see is that Jesus allows the storm. Jesus allows the storm. In verse 16 to 18, it says, when evening came and his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across to the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, And Jesus had not yet come to them. John records that the disciples go down, they get in a boat, and they begin to travel to Capernaum. And Jesus stays back. In fact, verse 15 right before this says, Jesus withdrew himself to go be with his father on the mountain. But if you read the other accounts, Matthew and Mark also record the feeding of the multitude and the The story of Jesus walking on the water, and they make something very clear that the disciples of their own volition did not just wander off without Jesus. Jesus actually tells them to get in the boat and go without him. Matthew 14, verse 22, recounting this, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Well, he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Mark 6, verse 45, also makes it clear that Jesus commanded these men out on this journey across the sea without him. Mark six, verse 45 says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Jesus sends these men, the men that are closest to him, the men that have accompanied him through his ministry on this paddle crossing across the Sea of Galilee And he is the Son of God, and he knows that what these men think is going to be a gentle paddle, Jesus knows a fierce storm is going to roll in. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is is a small lake. It's about 7 miles by 13 miles, and it is uh, 700 feet below sea level. And that's important to note because what can happen in an instant is that the cold winds from the hills of the Jordan can kind of swoosh into the lake, which is kind of like in a gorge almost, and it can churn the water up very, very quickly. To this day, the Sea of Galilee is known for its violent storms. In fact, power boats 40-horsepower, 60-horsepower boats are recommended to get off the lake as soon as a storm begins to stir. Now, the boat these disciples are in are not 40 horsepower, not 60 horsepower. This is 12 men in a wooden boat with some paddles. And Jesus sends them out. In fact, he gives us even more detail. Verse 17, it says, they got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. And John, he says, it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. What John is saying here is not just chronological, but theological. He is linking the night with the absence of Jesus. And he does this throughout the Gospel of John, that light and darkness are this motif that are used throughout the gospel John 1 verse 4 to 5 it says in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it John 3 verse 19 it says and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil John 8:12 says I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In fact, we see this even in the Old Testament. Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The presence of Jesus is linked with light. The absence of God and of Christ is linked with darkness. That What John is saying here isn't just describing the setting, although he is describing the setting. He is describing the situation these men are in. It can only help but think of uh, these men as they get in the boat, that these men, as they get in the boat and begin their journey across the sea, they are following what Jesus has commanded them. They are being obedient to the word of Christ. They are not ignorant of what Jesus has asked them. They are not disregarding what Jesus has asked them. They have done exactly what the Lord Jesus wanted them to do. They were not disobedient, they were not resistant, they were not hesitant. They did what he asked. And they find themselves now in a storm. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. That cold wind from the hills rolled in and it started to turn the sea up. Isn't it true that following Jesus often invites so many storms into our life? That following in obedience in Christ does not make you immune to testing, it does not make you immune to trials or suffering, but if you are following Christ, you will find yourself in storms, in tests, in trials. The message of the world is that we should strive to have comfortable, convenient lives, that we should try to avoid suffering at all cost. And sometimes we even fall into that as we follow Christ. That following Christ should be easy. It's a life that is comfortable, that I can coast. I've got Christ. Listen to the words of Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this. I love this quote. He says, Storms and tempests are the things that make men tough and hardy mariners. They see the works of the Lord and his great wonders in the deep. So with Christians, great faith must. Have great trials. The Christian life does not exempt us from testing. In fact, following Jesus, you are going to face trials. We see this throughout the entire New Testament. James 1, 2-4, it says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Second Corinthians 4:17. Paul talking, he says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love how he, how he looks at these tests and these trials, a light and momentary affliction. From a worldly perspective, they certainly were not. But he was seeing beyond it, he saw God's purposes in it. 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuine, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Christian, Following Christ isn't an escapist religion. You are going to be inviting all sorts of trials into your life as you try to follow Christ. Mom and dad, you're trying to raise your kids in the Lord? You are inviting all sorts of trials into your life. Christian, you're trying to be faithful in your workplace and you want your coworkers to hear about Jesus and believe in Jesus, you are inviting all sorts of trials into your life. As a church, if we are going to stand on God's word and not waver, we are inviting all sorts of trials into our life. Jesus allows the storm but I don't want us to stop there. Some really good news that follows. Verse 19 to 20. It says, When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. When you're in that storm, When you're going through that test, when you're facing that trial, when you feel like you are in the middle of suffering and you're crying out, Where are you, Lord? Here he comes walking on the water. And this is the second thing I want us to see as we see that Jesus is sufficient in our storms and that, yes, he allows storms in our life for a purpose. We see Jesus' presence in our storms. That's the second thing. Jesus' presence in our storms. It says that in verse 19 that they rode about three or four miles. What should have been a routine paddle? The winds began to blow hard. The water began to foam and to smash against the boat. What's interesting is John makes mention that they rode three or four miles. Uh, It's supposed that where they were and where they were going was the distance of two miles across the lake. Yet John makes mention that they rode three or four miles. What's going on here? What's happened? They have been beaten by the storm and the storm has blown them south. They are making no headway. Mark 6, verse 44, it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. These men were out there straining at the oars. They're fighting just to survive. They're rowing and rowing and rowing, and they're getting nowhere. Imagine being on that boat. It's dark. The rain is coming down, the winds are howling and blowing, waves are toppling into your boat and smashing into your boat. I know what I'd be thinking. I'd be blaming Jesus. Jesus sent us out here to get us across the sea and this if we did it our way, if we didn't listen to Jesus, we wouldn't be in this circumstance. We wouldn't be facing this storm. Could there have been an easier way? Yes. They could have disobeyed Christ. But that wouldn't have been the best way. Christian, you're tempted to disobey Christ. Perhaps in the workplace, you you water the gospel down a little bit because you want to appeal to, to people, you want to be winsome. You know the gospel's offensive, and I, ah, I just I, I want to soften the message a little bit. Mom and dad, you know it's difficult to raise your children in the Lord, and perhaps it's, it's not a strong priority to make the Word of God central in your home. You think, ah, we don't always have to prioritize it. Hockey's more important. Sports is more important. Extracurriculars are more important. And that's okay. God will continue to see us through. Or maybe even as a church, we see this sadly across the, the world, churches that are shipwrecking the inerrancy of scripture. Uh, if, we, if we say that the Bible's God's word, that, that makes people very upset. Uh, the Bible's not God's word. It's, it's good teaching though. Christian, church, don't you dare do it. If Jesus says, get in the boat, get in the boat. We obey him, we will face trials, and yet Jesus knew what he was doing. It's important to note that there are many instances where following Christ brings storms, but there are instances in the Old Testament where disobeying Christ can bring storms into our life. You can read of King Saul. King Saul did not follow God. He was disobedient, and that brought all sorts of suffering into his life. That the Lord disciplined him. Or you can think of Jonah. Jonah ran from God's plan and disobeyed God's word, and God disciplined him. But there are many instances where men and women obeyed God and it was still difficult for them. You can think of Daniel in the lion's den or Daniel in the fiery furnace. Christian, it is better to be in the middle of God's plan on a boat in a storm than taking the easy way. And this is where we see, we see Jesus comes to them. Mark and Matthew mention that it is the fourth watch of the night. Now the night was divided into four watches. We, he- we hear in John that uh, darkness came and they headed so early in the night, probably around nine or 10 o'clock at night, the first watch of the night, these men head out onto the sea to begin their trip. The fourth watch of the night it was divided this way, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to 12 a.m., 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. The fourth watch is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., and that's the watch these men find themselves in. This has been a long night. It's been dark. It's been hard. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're fe- fearful for their life. And yet we find Jesus walking on the water. It's that moment. The fourth watch of the night. The darkest part of the night. The most difficult part of the night. The the moment in which these men are so exhausted and so tired. That moment is when Jesus comes to them walking on the water. I love it. It's been said the thing that threatened the disciples' heads was under his feet. Feet and Jesus comes to them. I love it that Jesus uses the thing that was going to destroy them as an opportunity to show his power and glory. Are we okay with that? Are we okay if it takes our suffering and our difficulty for Christ to be magnified in our life? Can we say with Job, oh Lord, though you slay me, I will yet hope in you. Jesus draws near. Jesus is an ever-present help in trouble. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because I know that you are with me. Do you believe that, Christian? That Christ is with you? Perhaps right now, in this very moment, it was just an effort to come this morning. Like, there's so much going on in my life. There's so many struggles. There's so many difficulties. You find yourself in the eye of the storm. Do you believe that Jesus is with you? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus comes. And look, look, look. Look what he says. Verse 20. Verse 19 says, They see Jesus coming near the boat, and they were frightened. They were terrified. Can you imagine seeing a person walking on water? I can't, I'd be terrified, especially how tired these men were. And Jesus, as, as they're frightened at his presence, I love what he says, verse 20, he says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Matthew 14 to 27, it says that Jesus says, take heart. Take courage. The storm isn't stilled. The winds haven't stopped. The waves haven't settled. And the first thing that Jesus wants to do to these men is he wants to identify himself to them. In a very real sense, he wants to calm the storm that's going on inwardly before he calms the storm that's going on outwardly. It is I. In the Gospel of John, there's a an interesting phrase that's used throughout the Gospels. It's a, a Greek phrase called uh, "ego imi," and "ego imi" means "I am, I am." It's used a number of places. Jesus uses it uh, later on in this chapter when he says, "I am the bread of life." He uses it when he says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection in the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this identification of Jesus, this it is I, isn't considered part of these I am statements. But this is what precedes all of these I am statements. This is, if you will, the first one. And we... Hopefully, think back to Exodus 3, verse 14, when God says to Moses, I am who I am. Jesus is saying to these men, God is with you. I am with you, brothers. Here I am. Jesus reveals himself, shows himself, calms the heart. Perhaps right now you're in the fourth watch of the night. In John 6, wants to say to you, God wants to say to you, it is I. I'm with you. Christian, perhaps you're not in that season, but you will be at some point because we all go through testing and trials Unless lest we forget that Jesus Christ, God is with us. He has not forsaken you. He has not neglected you. He is alone, sufficient, in his presence with you i want us to see one final thing jesus is sufficient in your storm and yes he allows storms in our life not with a malicious purpose but with a purpose for our good to magnify himself to exalt himself to accomplish his good work in us and growing us in our faith and sanctifying us in our faith. The last thing we see is in verse 21. Verse 21 says, then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The last thing I want you to see is that Jesus brings deliverance from the storm. It says that they were glad to take him in the boat. That word means willing. They desired, they wished. I can only imagine being these men when you finally realize that's Jesus and you've been struggling and suffering all night long in this storm. The desire of your heart, Lord, please get in the boat. The joy that these men must have felt recognizing that's the Lord. Lord, please, he's here. They desired, they willed, they wished, they wanted him in the boat. And it says that he, as he gets in the boat, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now obviously, Jesus didn't need a ride to shore. He was walking on the water. Why did he get in the boat? He got in the boat not to get a ride, but to give a ride. He was taking them to where they were going. Imagine after this terrible night, terrible struggle, fear, stress, suffering. It says, immediately, immediately. The boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately as Jesus gets in the boat, they feel the thump and the scratching of the boat on the shore. What an amazing, amazing miracle of Christ. What's even more interesting is that what happens in these verses is is never spoken of again. That it's kind of smack dab in the middle of this story of the feeding of the 5,000 and then Jesus uh, in the next section explains the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He's back with the crowd and he's explaining to him and he's saying, you're looking for bread and you really need to be looking for me. I am the bread of life. And this interaction of Jesus walking on the water is just in there. It's never mentioned again. The crowds weren't there. Why? Why? What's the purpose of these verses? I think the purpose of these verses is to highlight, again, the purpose of the verses beforehand. You see, Jesus displays himself as the ultimate provision, as the one who is all-sufficient in all of our problems. The disciples looking around, you remember these verses, you you can read them again where uh, Jesus asked them, we need to give these people food. And like, we don't have food, Jesus. There's these two loaves and these two fish. There's nothing we can do. And Jesus takes them and he has the people sit down and prays and begins to distribute them. And the disciples saw this amazing miracle. The disciples were the ones that we, we can read that handed out the bread and the fish. They were carrying this basket around and people were taking and taking and it just never ran out. What an amazing provision of God. And Jesus wants to highlight this teaching, his all-sufficiency, his all-provision in our life in a special way. And he wants to take them out into the storm. And as they're struggling in this storm, you can only imagine the things that they were thinking well, I guess Christ isn't always sufficient. I guess Jesus isn't always what I need. Where is he right now? I guess he's not always able to meet us in our problems, to work in the impossible. Perhaps Jesus' power doesn't work on water. Water. And as they are out there struggling, and the feeling that they are going to perish, that they are finished, here he comes, walking on the water. There he is, showing himself as sufficient and with them that he was certainly not going to let them perish, that as he commanded them to cross the lake, it is him and him alone that brings them to the other side. He gets them to where they are going. This is what Christ does in our own life. As we are following Jesus and we're trying to follow the calling he's placed in our lives, we're trying to get to where he he wants us to go, to live for him, to live our lives glorifying him and and be faithful to the end. It is Christ who brings us through. It is Christ who carries us through. This passage isn't specifically talking about salvation, but very similar It is the Lord who intervenes in our life when we are in sin and brings us out of it. Perhaps this morning you are in your sin. You are dead in your sin and your trespasses and your life is a mess. You feel, if you you were to describe it, you feel in a storm. You feel like you're hanging on and what you need is you need Jesus Christ to come in and deliver you. And that invitation is open to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Those verses we read from Romans at the beginning of this uh, service. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. God never runs our life the way we think he should. We would never want the storms and the suffering and the difficulty that we go through. And yet, the message of John 6 to us is that he is a good shepherd. And we can trust in him. That he is an ever present help in trouble. I love at the end of uh, Matthew 14, uh, when Matthew is recording these verses, how it ends is he says this, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew and Mark, for the first time in the Gospels, in the New Testament, the disciples actually bow down in worship and recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's what happens when we see Jesus Christ in all his sufficiency, in all his glory, in all his sovereignty that you believe him, that you praise him, that you worship him? Do you worship Christ? Do you believe that he is the all-sufficient one for all of your problems, for your sin, and for your suffering? God's word says yes, he is. Now, As we close today, I want to close and I want to pray for us and I want to ask that the Lord would indeed strengthen our faith, that he would reinvigorate us to trust him, knowing that he is always with us, that he is always sufficient, that we would believe. Let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, Your word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that takes refuge in him. Father, we see from these verses the goodness of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And Father, we see the blessedness of finding refuge in him. Lord, I want to specifically pray for the one Who is in deep suffering right now, who is in the fourth watch of the night and the cry of their heart is, where are you, Lord? Father, would you remind them that you are right there with them and that you will bring them through for your glory. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.